And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. Hello, everyone, and welcome. Looks like uh, looks like our our uh, rafter bump camera there got bumped when uh, the youngling hit his head on it the other day. So we'll have to reset that camera. Um, yesterday, I learned that the musical stage production Wicked has 13 different 18-wheelers to transport their production. I learned this because I had to help load those 13 18-wheelers, and I got home at 5.15 a.m. this morning. So despite feeling crunchy, however, you will get my 100% dead-level best. So uh, good to have all of you here. Welcome. We are live from the bunker. My name is Jason Hunt. I am the editor here at Sci-Fi For Me. We have been covering science fiction, fantasy, and horror since 2009. And uh, that includes video games. We're going to get into that here in a minute. The live chat is open and active. If you are not with us live, you can leave a comment. You can send an email live from the bunker at sci-fi4me.com. And this show is available on a number of different podcast platforms. I see Dave and Robert in the chat. Good to see you here as well. So let's get to it, or as Honor Harrington would say, let's be about it. First of all, happy birthday to David Gerald, who is never going to finish that next tour book. Um, that's just me, though. I think he's in that same category as George R. R. Martin. There's that one book he's never going to finish. All right, so speaking of never going to finish... Um, this feels like, this story feels like, it's never going to quite maybe go away, but it keeps changing. Hello, Keely in the chat. Uh, joining us today, we're going to be talking about the Activision Blizzard situation again, and a new twist this past week. Richard Hogue from Hogue Law, he's been on the show before to talk about the Activision situation. Ryan Gallagher, our uh, games correspondent, joins us as well. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. Well, it's good to good to have you back. And this surprise announcement, I guess you could uh, you could characterize it that way. Back Tuesday, we had this uh, this news out of the blue. Seems like Microsoft is spending. 68 billion and some change for Activision Blizzard which is 10 times the amount they 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 spent on Bethesda and I'm I'm watching the gaming community react with I guess shock <laughs> because every nobody saw this coming uh I saw a I saw a discussion. Alana Alana Pierce was talking about it with a couple of people, and there was like there weren't any any rumblings, no rumors, no hints. Nobody knew that this was in the works, and that has me wondering how do you 
How do you do that? How do you get that kind of secrecy on something this big? Well, it looks like in this case, it's because of the speediness of the transaction, right? Everybody that's reported on it so far, and there's some dispute about the facts on the ground, has said that this basically all came together in mid or late November of 2021. So if you're familiar at all with deal transaction timelines, that's ridiculously fast to go from, hey, we might be interested in purchasing you. Let's do some due diligence. Let's talk about it. Let's see what makes sense to actually announcing the entrance into a definitive agreement here in January. Uh, so not to put too fine a point on it, holiday season, very short timeline. There's limited points of contact that will actually leak this thing. So it's always a function of how long you're trying to keep a secret as to whether or not that secret can survive press scrutiny or otherwise. <laughs> in this case, looks like it came together over Thanksgiving and Christmas. Nobody really had a chance to dive deep on it. And then Phil Spencer and Microsoft are announcing it come middle of January. Where do you think the idea of the deal came from? Because you've been you've been covering Activision Blizzard for a while. You've been doing videos on the situation over there with regard to the 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 internal climate and you know the lawsuits and the PR and, and you know, all of these different allegations and such of the the corporate culture inside Activision Blizzard. And it seems like it's coming more from the Blizzard side of things than Activision in general. But Bobby Kotek has come in, you know, come under a lot of fire over all of this. And I guess my starting point is whose idea this was. Is Microsoft looking at this as, uh, you know, blood in the water, here's an opportunity to pounce? Or is, you know, the Activision people, you know, the, the board, you know, people what in charge of Activision sitting there going, we have this albatross around our neck. Microsoft, come help us, save us. Where do, you, where do you think that, that gestation started? Yeah, and I think the answer to that right now is yes. Uh, we're a bit in the fog of war period. Oh. There are two major competing narratives that are out there uh, online and in the journalistic sphere. Wall Street Journal initially reported that Phil Spencer and Microsoft approached Activision Blizzard. Jeff Grubb and GamesBeat then responded essentially with their own article that said it was the opposite, that Activision Blizzard was shopping around to get out of the situation they found themselves in 2021 and approached Microsoft. I suspect we'll get some clarity on that at some point. That's not the kind of thing that'll stay hidden forever, usually. Uh, but I think in this particular case, the reality of the situation is that it made a lot of sense for both parties as and when it happened, right? Mm -hmm. Activision Blizzard had a $95 plus stock price before everything that happened last year, before the lawsuits from California and the EEOC and everything else kind of came out and was leaked to various outlets, including a kind of really down piece on Bobby Kotick himself in the Wall Street Journal in early November on the timeline right before Microsoft and Activision started talking deal. Uh, and so I think what you're looking at is a situation where Microsoft says, well, the assets themselves are really worth $9,500 a share, uh, but that price got depressed due to cultural issues, due to management issues that we can cleanse from purchasing those assets because we're going to get rid of all those kind of cultural signifiers and then essentially buying a company at a market premium, which you have to do to collect a public company's shares, uh, isn't that much of a premium if you're just going to offer the price that would have been market before all this happened. Right. From the Activision Blizzard side, you've got a Bobby Kotick who's been CEO for a long time. Activision Blizzard has a lot of the indicia of basically being a founder-led company, even though it's much bigger than that. But having those kinds of idiosyncrasies and egotism 
and personality-driven decision-making that you do see very common to founder-led companies. And Bobby Kotick was taking that role. We saw immediately in the aftermath of the lawsuits against them how much that kind of emotionality and personality-driven communications and messaging affected Activision Blizzard uh, quite negatively, I would offer. And then at the point in time where that Wall Street Journal article comes out in early November, I think you are looking at a board of directors and maybe even Bobby Kotick himself saying, you know, what does a landing glide path look like from here where I don't get pilloried in the press and everything else doesn't happen to us for another year and potentially drive the stock price down even further? So did Activision pick up that phone first? Did Microsoft? I'm not sure it matters that much in the end game. Probably yeah. we'll get a little bit more information on that at some point. But for now, I think it's important enough to understand Microsoft's got a lot of cash on hand. They had a price for a major asset that would have made sense to them and had a board of directors and CEO that had had a very, very bad year and may well have been looking to say, how do we get out of this in a way that is most genteel for us? Well, and we were looking at the Activision Blizzard stock has dropped down to about $80 a share. Microsoft has uh, dipped. And then now you look at that almost vertical spike over the last five days, uh, now sitting at $288 a share. It's on its way back up. And yeah, and, and the other context for the stock market, of course, especially when you're talking about Microsoft, Activision, maybe not as much, is we're going through what what looks like it might be a significant correction right now. There's a whole lot of things happening in the stock market. So it always has to kind of be indexed against yeah. all those. Part of that Microsoft drop is not just, hey, we're buying Activision. It's the entire scope of things in technology. There was a lot of tech sell offs the last week. Well, and it seems like uh, whenever any kind of major deal like this is announced, like, you know, Disney buying 20th Century Fox, for example, or, or Microsoft buys Bethesda, um, Amazon wanting to buy MGM, all of these things, there is that hit on the stock price one way yeah. or the other on, on both sides of the of the uh, of the transaction. But one thing that I notice when I'm doing my, my homework, I see Activision Blizzard and I see Activision. And they both have, they have their own different uh, social media accounts. You've got the different uh, stock price entries on the thing. Is Microsoft, just, just for clarity here, is Microsoft buying Blizzard or Microsoft buying Activision and Blizzard and the whole kit and caboodle? The whole kit and caboodle. Okay. Yeah, and I, there shouldn't be different stock tickers, so I, I'm not quite sure what that's about, but, but we could talk about it at some point. Activision Blizzard, as a combined company, has this family of entities that control different aspects of how it operates. So it has Activision as a game company. It has Activision Publishing as a publisher. It has Activision Blizzard as the holding company, I believe. It has Blizzard Entertainment as, again, a developer. Uh, and it has King, which is one of the pillars that isn't talked about as much as part of this deal. Uh, and they make uh, Candy Crush. Uh, and honestly are a juggernaut and have a significant portion of the revenue earned for Activision Blizzard as a complete entity, uh, even against Call of Duty and World of Warcraft and everything else. And Microsoft making this purchase, one of the things that they accomplish is getting in pretty deep, just jumping into the deep end of the mobile market where you see a lot of growth and a lot of revenue generation in video gaming. Yeah. Uh, Majors is saying here in the chat, I know this, if World of Warcraft is ported to console, I'll end my 18-year run with that game. It's not meant for game consoles. Uh, that was another another point that was raised uh, when, because you, know, you were going over it when you were looking at the, the paperwork, the fact that um, Microsoft uh, felt, 
is it Phil Spencer? I'm, I'm going blank on his name. Phil Spencer is Phil the Spencer. new CEO of Microsoft Gaming. Yeah. And in the in the in the paperwork, they've said that the current arrangements, the current deals for you know various different games being where they are, are going to stay in place. So not yes, because that was one of the things. First thing out, Wizard was like, oh, everything's going to Game Pass. Everything's going to be an Xbox exclusive now, and it doesn't look like that's going to be the case. Well, it might be in the long run. I mean, I think we can take how Microsoft treated the ZeniMax acquisition as kind of our baseline assumptions. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when you buy a company, uh, everything that that company had otherwise agreed to stays the same. Uh, You're not buying the assets in this kind of context. You're buying the whole company, assets, liabilities, obligations, and everything else. So Activision right now, we don't know the specifics here, is sitting on a marketing deal, say, with Sony and PlayStation for the next two Call of Duties going into 23, 24. And we're just pulling things out of air because we don't know what these things look like behind the scenes. But if that exists right now, all Phil Spencer and Microsoft is saying here is that when we buy this company, we're not going to breach these contracts. Um, and you know, there's, there's different kind of financial and legal strategies that you can do here. Say we're going to efficiently breach. We're going to pay liquidation damages. We're going to get out of these things, whatever it is. Microsoft is saying that that's not our intent. And we can see that that's how they carried out the ZeniMax acquisition primarily with seeing that the Deathloop exclusivity, which is a game that ZeniMax was making, that PlayStation had purchased exclusivity of release for, actually got released under the Microsoft Game Studios banner only on PlayStation, because that was what the contract said before Microsoft bought ZeniMax. So those emails that are going out from Activision Blizzard, from Microsoft that we see filed in the SEC and the Edgar database are mostly saying, contracts will survive, don't worry about anything that we've already agreed to, And then if you want to hypothesize and extrapolate from there and have all the fun conversations the internet is having, what happens after those contracts expire is where the fun begins in terms of Games Pass and exclusivity and Call of Duty, obviously being one of the biggest games on consoles in the world. Uh, And and that's where we don't know specifics, but we do start to get little inklings from various statements that are being made. It strikes me that we need to carve out this little piece and send it to Disney. Disney. And remind them that all of the all of the obligations and, and contracts that were in place when they bought Lucasfilm and when they bought 20th Century Fox should still sci-fi authors, yeah. yeah. So, but yeah, see, I did and, a video on that. Disney, yeah, and that Disney was taking some very odd tax with that. Yeah, was, well, we bought the company, but we didn't buy the obligations. Like, hang on, right. that doesn't quite ring true. How how do you do that? But that was the other thing too, because you've got. The legal questions, you've got the, you know, the accusations and the allegations and the, the potential for strikes and, and all, all of this mess that Activision Blizzard is doing. Microsoft is essentially saying, OK, we're going to be taking on all of that burden ourselves. Yes, that's right. So that's another important factor in this that a number of people have asked me about. Uh, nothing happens to the California lawsuit. Nothing happens to everything else that Activision has been accused of. Um, so that's a liability that sits on their books that may or may not be settled by the time this deal closes. Uh, but if it's not, then essentially Microsoft is the new owners of Activision would be in charge of dealing with what that process looks like uh, and settling it or not. Now, I will say because of what we talked about at the top of this show, that the deal price would have made a lot of sense just looking at it from the outside for a Microsoft that is cash rich and is looking at that big decline uh, in stock price. You're talking about a company that if it had been bought at the same margin, the same premium, just before California sues Activision would be worth $100 billion. Microsoft is looking at this internally and saying, hey, well, this is a $30 billion discount. 
And that $30 billion can pay for a lot of liabilities, yeah. right? Even if California is to win entirely and just kill Activision, maximum exposure is something like $500 million. You don't want that. I don't think that's likely, but that's what you're looking at if you're Microsoft. And when you're talking about those kinds of numbers, you can take on a lot of liability, you can take on a lot of risk on that level if you think you're getting just an enormous discount on the value of the assets internally. Yeah. Ryan, jump in here for a second with with some questions. We're gonna I'm gonna look up a couple of things here real quick. What are your yeah. thoughts? Uh, so in, in, a, in a little bit of the reading, I was kind of just seeing like how uh, there's a little bit about Biden and like tech companies and like not wanting tech companies become powerhouses. At what point do we see the questions of Apple and Amazon and now even Microsoft get in here and we need to look at this with a question of is this because with the acquisition of Blizzard, this is brings, you know, almost uh, what I was looking at was the worth like $175 billion, I think, for is the price of Microsoft. At what point is that question raised when they just increased it by nearly a third? And we uh, raise that question of how big is it? Well, so Microsoft as a tech company is 2.2 odd trillion dollars in market capitalization. They're so much bigger than the rest of the video gaming industry. Uh, but you're exactly right that a $70 billion acquisition in an industry that has never seen anything like it, that is consolidating into a major platform provider and competing content developer slash publisher is going to get eyebrows raised at various regulators around the world. Now, I'm an American lawyer. I know the American system a little bit better than the other jurisdictions, but I don't have to be dangerous over there. And certainly the European Union, the UK, others have taken an aggressive tact of reviewing these kinds of things. And if you're sitting there at Microsoft, I think the understanding is that you're going to get what we generally call a second look uh, in this circumstance, that the FTC or the DOJ is going to take a deeper dive into your books and records to see if they think this deal will, and the magic words here, substantially lessen competition. Uh, now, if you're looking at this from Microsoft's perspective and they say, hey, we're only going to be the third highest revenue in gaming. There's a ton of publishers out there. There's a ton of space in mobile and other gaming units that are outside of just boxes under your TV. FTC, you shouldn't consider us a monopolist. There's a ton of competition out there. Then I think you see it go through something like Fox and Disney did. However, as you rightly point out, the Biden administration over the last six months has specifically put a point on increased antitrust regulation, increased scrutiny for major consolidation, and more specifically, increased scrutiny for consolidation and mergers in the tech industry, in digital markets, where you have some risk of cloud infrastructure being consolidated. You have some risk of personal data being aggregated in some fashion that's going to be untowards, at least according to the Biden administration. And you see, even this last week, the FTC and the DOJ having a press re uh, release and a press conference that talks about heightening those standards, having increased scrutiny on vertical and horizontal monopolies and mergers and looking at these things uh, through a new lens. Now, that doesn't mean that I can guarantee anything will happen with respect to the regulators any more than the Microsoft lawyers can, right? When you go through a deal of this type, you get memos, you talk to people, you see what your chances are of a regulator causing a problem, but nobody can predict with 100% accuracy, what a third party is going to do on this kind of thing. Yeah. So I tend to tell folks now in virtual legality and elsewhere that I think it's more than likely than not going to go through. It's possible there could be some concessions or divestitures that happen. If you look at Fox, Disney, Fox had to move out some of the stuff that it was selling before Disney could finish that purchase off. But it's more likely than not going to go through. But anybody telling you that there's no chance a regulator steps in here is, is wrong. 
because of the regulatory environment, because it's a tech company, because even though it's not gaming related, it is still in Microsoft, one of the biggest tech companies in the world. That's going to draw some eyeballs. That's going to draw some review. And antitrust regulation is political. With the Biden executive order, with these press conferences, you see an agency that wants to rattle its saber a little bit. You could definitely see them trying to make a point with this deal well, if push came to shove. And you've also got the history that Microsoft has because you know sure. they've they've been the target of antitrust lawsuits back in 1998. The Department of Justice has already gone after them sure. at, at one point. So Microsoft is well known with the regulators. There's no question. <laughs> So so that makes me wonder, are they going to be more inclined or less inclined to let this deal go through, given the history that, I mean, it's a different administration, but 1998, that was the Clinton years, and, and you've got, you know, uh, the same kind, I mean, you've got the same party in charge uh, now that you had then. So it, is anything what go, what's old again is new? I mean, are we are we back in that same place where we were in '98, where Microsoft's getting too big? Are we are we going to look at that? Not, not with gaming, I don't think. I mean, I think in the '90s and 2000s, you could frame Microsoft as trying to control what is generally termed critical infrastructure, right? The operating systems of computers, the internet interactivity in the '90s of computers, Internet Explorer being. Uh, according to the antitrust department, jam down people's throats, right? So I think that that's distinct from gaming. Um, gaming, I would argue, the FTC is likely to look at as down the down the totem pole, at the bottom floor of what they're really concerned about, right? It's not nuclear energy. It's not infrastructure in terms of chips and semiconductors and whatever else they've kind of started to block and otherwise grow concerned with. But broadly, it is still technology. And if you're looking to say at the FTC offices, hey, maybe we should stop this. Maybe we should do something that we could put out in a press release. You can frame this as consolidating a specific aspect of gaming, particularly subscription service revenue generating applications like Game Pass, uh, having all that tech backstop that Microsoft does with the servers and the infrastructure and Azure uh, and, and everything else. And if you wanted to make hey, I think you probably could. Yeah. I look at it and say, I think it should go through based on gaming still having a lot of competition uh, and there's still being a number of publishers out there. But I want to be honest with people when they ask me that question and say, look, antitrust law is amorphous. Almost the entire law that we'd be looking at, the Clayton Act here says it shall be illegal for one party to buy another party if it substantially lessens competition. What does that mean? If you read the guidelines from the FTC or the DOJ, the first paragraphs of those guidelines say basically... Well, it's all predictive. We don't know what is going to happen in the future, but we're going to use our analysis. We're going to use these guidelines to try to determine when a merger should be illegal. But understand, we don't need certainty that something will go wrong because nobody can have certainty sitting here. So antitrust is always a function of optics, always a function of the parties at play, always a function of the politics of the moment. Yeah. Uh, and in this particular moment, you've got a regulatory agency or two in Washington that has signaled that they intend to be more active in patrolling these kinds of acquisitions. We've got this uh, this article from, this is from 2018 from The Verge, the headline, How the Antitrust Battles of the 90s Set the Stage for Today's Tech Giants, which I think is a really interesting take. Uh, Mazur says, I remember the antitrust event in 1998. Bill Gates used a national press conference from that to plug Windows 2000. It, th but the, the idea that 
Well, I mean, you look at when when the, they broke up AT and T. You know, all of the all of the little baby bells. This everything's getting too big, too big, too big. And you know, we've seen a number of uh, stories, anecdotal or or various different reports talking about you know the ownership of the things. You know, we've got these half a dozen companies that own everything. You know, Google owns all of this stuff. Facebook owns all of this. Sony owns this. Disney owns all of this. At what point do those sandboxes get too big? And and we're looking at another Paramount decision of 1927. you got to break all this stuff up. Well, I mean, when you're looking at those kinds of questions, I think it's important to note that those are really behavioral concerns, effectively after the fact. Right. Microsoft got pilloried in the 90s and early 2000s for doing something specific with how Windows was operating and benefiting Internet Explorer. And here we're looking at things essentially before they would happen. Yeah. Right. We're looking at should Facebook be allowed to buy WhatsApp? Should Microsoft be allowed to buy Activision and kind of prognosticating into the future? What could they do with that power? That might be a problem. Disney, Fox, the legacy media. In all honesty, the FTC and the DOJ are unlikely to care about that as much as things that touch on that digital economy and that and that future market. That's what they're aimed at. That's what the executive order is about. That's what they are concerned with most. And yes, that doesn't live in Microsoft necessarily. That primarily lives in Amazon and Google and some of the other things that we saw from the House Judiciary Committee and, and looking at these things for antitrust concerns in the last couple of years. Uh, but Microsoft still is that big gorilla in the room, still has that history with regulators. And so I think that's why you can't dismiss it, even though I think you are looking at a situation that in ordinary circumstances, without all the rest of this history and environment, probably would go through relatively unscathed yeah. uh, because it is uh, a gaming jump that just puts Microsoft in a certain spot in revenue. It doesn't take over the mobile market. It just participates in it and all these various other things. So I think if you are going to see any problems with this deal, you are looking at specifically trying to target various aspects of infrastructure, software as a service, Game Pass specifically, uh, as part of what the FTC would do. And again, I still think it's more likely than not that the deal goes through, but it is not a non-zero chance that something happens. Now, Mazars had pointed out earlier, he said, uh, I don't think this acquisition means the competitor consoles lose out on game titles. It does mean Microsoft gets to cash in on PlayStation players buying new games. And I would imagine it probably also affects Nintendo, um, possibly. The, you know, because, well, I don't know that Nintendo had as much Activision contact directly. Okay. In Nintendo's a weird duck, right? They, they live almost entirely on novelty in their first-party software offerings. Uh, Activision might be supplying certain things to Switch, but it certainly wasn't the driver of their revenue. Um, so it'll, it'll touch everybody. Activision is that big of a publisher. Um, the, the stuff that Activision might've put on switch, I think is like the Spyro games and the crash games, but they were moving away from those, uh, in any event. So I think it touches everybody. What Microsoft decides to do with those assets is kind of the open question. Uh, one of the things that happened this last week is that Phil Spencer put out a tweet that said he, it's his desire to keep Call of Duty on PlayStation. Uh, which could make a lot of sense from a business model perspective, because as as your commenter says, Microsoft still makes money from selling the product. That's how Activision's business model worked. Yeah. Uh, and so they still make money selling it to Sony. And more importantly, from the perspective of a game like Call of Duty, a multiplayer extravaganza with microtransactions and battle passes and everything else, 
Bigger is better. Network effects are better. Crossplay is better uh, for that kind of thing. So unlike the ZeniMax acquisition, where you had Microsoft stumble out of the gate with messaging a little bit, but ultimately come down on, yeah, this stuff's going to be exclusive to Game Pass and to us. Call of Duty presents a different kind of thing. It's not a single-player role-playing game. It has value in eyeballs and zeitgeist and more players playing it. Uh, and so Phil Spencer going out there with that tweet doesn't necessarily surprise me. Also understanding, as we just discussed, that we're in a regulatory environment where this is the currently the time when the FTC and the DOJ are going to be evaluating this kind of stuff. So expect comments from Xbox and Phil Spencer and the CEO of Microsoft to be as genteel as possible, to be white knights. We're correcting for Activision's sins, and we're just going to be great corporate citizens and don't stop our deal. Wow. All right. Well, we will get into more of the impact in the game industry in general. When we get back, we're talking with Richard Hogue of Hogue Law. He is the managing member. And we will be back after a very quick break that allows me to tell Google where to interrupt us with ads. And we'll be, uh, we'll be back with more conversation right after this. Stand by. Sci-Fi for Me, delivering the multiverse since 2009. The concept of flying cars uh, is just a terrible, terrible idea. Yeah. It is a disastrous idea. People can't drive on a level, flat surface, yeah. let alone, you know, it's, uh, trust me, this is one of those things where you want con to be thinking two-dimensionally. The H2O Podcast, Monday night at 8, only on Sci-Fi for Me TV. Foreign Bodies, Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern, only on Sci-Fi for Me TV. Welcome back to Live from the Bunker for, from Sci-Fi for Me. Uh, we are still talking about Activision Blizzard being acquired by Microsoft. I'm joined still with Jason Hunt, the editor-in-chief, and the managing member of Hogue Law, Richard Ho. Uh, and I'm Ryan Gallagher, back with you. Uh, so, Richard, uh, let's talk about Microsoft and when, if they acquire, or this acquisition goes through, what is going to stop Microsoft from keep acquiring more? Oh, I don't think much of anything is going to stop them from acquiring more. They have a lot of cash on hand. They have almost as much cash as the size of the industry. If you actually look at how Microsoft operates, they're that big. Uh, but I think the ultimate question for Microsoft will be a logistical one. Uh, if you actually look at what the size of Microsoft's internal offerings were as early as three years ago, the expansion of their capabilities and publishing and developing has been so enormous that one of the things that you generally have to do when you're bringing in so many new bodies and so many new assets is make sure that you can run the ship right. Um, and so we saw a reorganization as part of this acquisition. We saw essentially Xbox get renamed into Microsoft Gaming, Phil Spencer being made CEO, that kind of naming and structure suggestive of Microsoft's commitment and really making gaming a foundational pillar of what they see going forward. It's a big deal to have that kind of reorganization. And it wouldn't surprise me if Microsoft at least takes a slowdown approach to making sure that all of these things are getting integrated properly, that assets that can sell are actually coming out of the processes that they put in place, because Microsoft as a company has never had to do this before. They have a lot of experience doing a lot of things, but they've never run 34 different developers at the same time. Getting that management in place, getting that hierarchy set, dealing with problems as they develop, 
right? One of the things Microsoft wants to do is kind of take the Disney approach that they use with Marvel and Lucasfilm and others and say, hey, we want to leave you creatively independent. Go do your own thing. We bought you because you're good and, and do that. But as Disney has found out, sometimes that works awesome, like Marvel. Sometimes it needs a little bit of a heavier hand, like Lucasfilm. Uh, and so Microsoft dealing with those issues while simultaneously trying to create a new business model and seeing what works for outside developers, inside developers, bringing users in to that game pass uh, and figuring out where the price point is, how they can maximize revenue when they transition from user acquisition to revenue growth is going to be very fascinating. But at some point, you got to stop churning the ship and figure out exactly where you're going and how you're going to get there. Along those lines, uh, how how exactly is this structured? Because I saw your video on how the acquisition is going to happen, the, ver the various different legal entities and business entities and whatnot, <laughs> sure. and this whole reverse triangle thing. I mean, yes, reverse you, triangular mergers. Yeah, it, it it's an interesting. I mean, you you explain it very well, but I'm still kind of you know muzzy headed on the whole thing with how this is actually going to work because. If I understand this right, there is a new business entity that's been formed, right? That essentially yes, it's called Anchorage. Okay, yeah. and that is doing the purchasing, the actual purchase. Is that right? Or they're facilitating yes, the purpose? Yes, it's merging into the other entity. Okay. Um, so Microsoft goes behind the scenes, probably did this a couple weeks ago or a month, creates a subsidiary called, I think it's Anchorage Merger Sub. Uh, apologies if I get the specifics wrong there. It's included in their merger agreement. Uh, but they, they create this subsidiary. It's empty. All it is is wholly owned by Microsoft. And then they use that entity to merge into Activision in such a way that the Activision shareholders' shares become Microsoft's, uh, and those shareholders get $95 for the trouble. And, and I'll spare you the kind of technicalities there, but that's how the merger provisions of uh, Delaware law work. And, and almost everybody's operating through Delaware law. And again, that's an accident of history. <laughs> it's its own episode. But <laughs> suffice it to say, that merger happens. And the reason it's reverse is because you usually think about it the other way. You usually think, okay, if I need to own this entity, I'd have Activision merge into either me, that makes sure that I own all their stuff, or I would have them merge into my subsidiary, which also does the same thing. It's reverse in order to make sure that the continued existence of the company is retained. So when Anchorage merges into Activision, Activision survives as that wholly owned subsidiary of Microsoft, just like Anchorage was. But Activision didn't actually go under anywhere under the fiction of the law. So if Activision has a contract, say, with somebody, it doesn't die when this happens, when it might have, or you might have had to get third-party consent or do a host of other things if you went the other direction. There's also some tax advantages, which I know enough to be dangerous on. But reverse <laughs> triangular mergers are the standard for these kinds of transactions. So Microsoft isn't doing anything unusual. The reason I point that out in my videos now, a couple of them, Zenimax and this one, is because it gets reported on wrongly so often. Yeah. Uh, there were a lot of reports talking about the subsidiary that Microsoft was using that would potentially change the name of Zenimax when they did it. And anybody that's in mergers and acquisitions and looks at what they were doing is like, no, that's not what's happening. Uh, and so I try to get out there in virtual reality and correct for those kinds of things. And that's not me blaming anybody. There's a whole bunch of stuff in any given speciality, I'm sure, but in mergers and acquisitions law and other areas of law that is just kind of terms of art and ways things are done that you might not pick up on just reading the document. So hopefully virtual reality can help with that kind of stuff. So I'm hearing this and I'm also hearing 
the the likelihood that Activision Blizzard retains its name and identity, it doesn't get folded in somewhere and becomes Microsoft Activision or Microvision or Micro Blizzard or whatever whatever you know some kind of a of a hybrid thing because the, it does have a reputation, even though the reputation is somewhat tarnished right now. Would it be a good idea to rebrand? They might rebrand. They might honestly. The, the legalese of how the transaction occurs in terms of keeping the entity in existence is not reflective of what the future branding is. Um, so Activision as, a, as an entity has to exist in order to keep its contracts and do some other stuff with taxes so you don't merge it the other direction. But in terms of what you do with it once you own it, it's all up to business strategy. If you look at Activision Blizzard and you say they burn their goodwill to the ground, we're going to start calling it whatever we're going to call it, Microsoft Call of Duty Studios uh, <laughs> or, or what have you, then they can do that. And you've seen Microsoft kind of shift names around a little bit, but for the most part, what they've purchased has retained its identity so far. Yeah. Um, but that's going to be up to them. And certainly a lot of people have asked since everything happened with California last year, should they change their name, et cetera. And I, I had often offered that I could see them changing their name to King because it's a good name and because that's the one that hasn't been kind of gone through the ringer. Uh, but Microsoft is unlikely to do that. And I would suspect their first effort will be to try to rehabilitate it. Activision has a long history. There really is goodwill there before the immediate recent past. Uh, and so I would suspect Microsoft, under new management signs all around, will try to rehabilitate that uh, that actual intellectual property because it is useful. And we've seen Microsoft use various aspects of intellectual property before in a similar fashion. Sci-Fi Snob suggests Microactive Blizzard. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you can name it whatever you like. I don't know that that actually gets you out of the trouble that you might otherwise have. No. So I think it's either Activision Blizzard survives or it gets completely washed away. Speaking of trouble. It has a name. Yeah. Speaking of trouble, let me let me uh, pivot to Bobby Kotick. What this does sure. to him, because oh, he's the one that's under fire more than anything else. You know, all of this stuff is swirling around him. He made this yep. possible. He let this happen. How dare he all this? He's the target of a lot of ire at this point. And yep. you were saying in one of your videos that. The way this acquisition works, Microsoft buys all of the shares that are currently owned by everybody that owns uh, uh, Activision Blizzard shares of stock, That's which right. includes Bobby Kotick. And you're saying that this is likely the strategy that they're going to use in order to move him out the door, as it were. Um, Golden Parachute as well. Does he... Does he you stay through the transition and then he retires or they, you know, well, he doesn't own things anymore. So he's going to transition to a consultant or whatever. What happens to him? Yeah. I, I mean, the purchase of shares isn't a part of the Bobby Kotick strategy. It's a function of how the merger works. Uh, so when you're wiping out everybody that owns the company in order to give it to somebody else that's buying it, you have to go and actually wipe them out. So the deal is, Every share that's out there in the world is worth $95 and Microsoft is paying for every single one of them. Uh, and the shareholders will approve that deal or not. That would be its own set of press releases at the time. But mm. the shareholders of Activision will approve that deal and thereby every shareholder will agree to sell their interests for $95. They'll get a check and their shares are gone. And that includes Bobby Kotick, who's been collecting options and stock grants and various things since he's been running the company and has a significant amount of stock that will get hundreds of millions of dollars, I believe, as this transaction occurs. There was never any version of events that could have avoided that. There's nothing that wipes his stock out 
Uh, so if you wanted Bobby Kotick off the company, if you wanted him out of ownership of Activision, he was always getting paid for that stock at some point. Right. Um, so Microsoft, I know that they've gotten a little bit of flack for that, but that was always going to happen. In respect of whether or not he's going to retire, there's conflicting reports. Microsoft, in their press statement at the start, says Bobby Kotick's going to continue running Activision Blizzard, but after the deal closes, Activision Blizzard's going to report directly to Phil at Microsoft, uh, which always seemed like an interesting paragraph to include in your press statement because, as you just said, Bobby Kotick is persona non grata. I mean, number one, in a lot of video game journalism outlets and from video gamers in general. Uh, so including that was always taking a little bit of a PR hit from the Microsoft side of things. And I pointed it out when I first looked at those statements. About eight hours after those statements went up, the Wall Street Journal, I believe it was, leaked out that the word on the street was that Bobby Kotick would be leaving almost immediately after the transaction was closed. And that creates kind of an interesting bifurcation of events because it doesn't make a ton of sense to include that paragraph from the Microsoft side if that is happening. On the other hand, it doesn't make a ton of sense to include him in that role if your entire division is going to be reporting to your formal CEO at Microsoft in any event. So I think what we've got here is probably a situation that's somewhere in the middle. Bobby Kotick leaving immediately after the closing, for instance, could be a little bit longer than that kind of phrasing would otherwise indicate to the ordinary reader of a Wall Street Journal article. It could be a year-long transition. It could be two days. We don't know. What we do know is that that paragraph in the Microsoft statement is reflective of a certain amount of power on the Activision side that said they that's what they want to have said in the press release that goes out about this deal. And that goes back to what we talked about at the top of the show, which was Activision and their board and Bobby Kotick were very likely looking for a way to get out that allowed them a soft landing and saying, hey, we're going to run things and then I'm going to walk away when the deal is transitioned is potentially that soft landing. Yeah. Ryan, your thoughts? What are you? What are you, you? You have this. You have this very pensive look on your face, like you're thinking a certain thing here. What's up? Well, you were. I mean, I was. Uh, I was going to ask about Bobby right before you did, but uh, you got a little bit ahead of me. Um, but I was just thinking. I mean, um, you know, all this drama has been like you know surfaced around Bobby. It almost sounds like getting him out would seem like the right thing to do for Microsoft from like a PR standpoint, would it not? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I think Bobby Kotick, even if he were the world's best CEO, and we're all third parties, we're not sitting in these rooms, even if he was the best ever and he's getting unfairly pilloried by these journalistic outlets, right now, nobody can know that. And he's got negative goodwill surrounding him in every aspect. So ordinarily, you'd look at this and you say, you know, what are you really doing? You're deciding to make Call of Duty games. You're not really adding a lot of value to the overall asset worth of the company. It makes sense to kind of cut ties with you. And the, and the board deciding not to do that and not even indicate that they were contemplating it when everything happened at the end of last year uh, really was suggestive of the strength that Bobby Kotick had in terms of control of that board of directors. So Microsoft coming in, there is no doubt in my mind that in the near to midterm, Bobby Kotick will be leaving Activision Blizzard as owned by Microsoft. The question is whether that's a medium term transition services kind of concept or whether it's the day after the closing. Um, and that's where it just becomes a little bit unclear. Microsoft won't comment on it. That's probably part of the deal for Activision and more specifically Bobby Kotick is to not talk about it leaving immediately if that is in fact the case. Uh, but overall, he doesn't have a role in the combined company. And so he won't be staying. It's just a matter of how long he, st he, he survives at that entity as owned by Microsoft before he goes. What do you think this does to the the 
the various different lawsuits and, and everything else because, like you said, these aren't going away. Uh, the the employees calling for strikes and and all of that. Sure. I mean, does this mitigate some of that? Do they sit there and say, okay, well, let's take a pause and see what happens, or are 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 the various different entities involved sitting there going? you know what, we don't care that Microsoft is getting involved. We're still going after these guys. Yeah, so the, the entities that are suing are reviewing past events, right? They're looking at things that happened in the past to people that worked at Activision. Nothing in a future transaction changes that. So it would surprise me very much the state of California did much of anything uh, as a response to this particular transaction. The only thing that changes for them is if it doesn't get settled, it's going to proceed for a period of time. If, if things are still kind of in the works when Microsoft becomes the new owners, then suddenly the state of California finds itself negotiating with new people, right? Mm -hmm. They're going to have their own counsel, their own internal folks that are going to discuss with California. Maybe they're more open to a settlement than Activision was. Maybe they're more open to other terms. Maybe they're less. They don't know that. But from California's perspective, they'll be proceeding uh, as they have been. And certainly Activision is one of those that California has indicated throughout this entire process is one that they feel very serious about and that we would expect them to expend a lot of energy uh, trying to nail down whatever that might look like for them. Uh, from the employee side, you know, you've got a pending kind of signature card collection drive, potential proto-unionization, uh, and going through that kind of collective bargaining process. And there's a couple of ways that that can go in the shadow of a transaction. On the one hand, I think you'll get some people, remember, these are individuals that get to decide whether they're submitting their signature card, that'll look at this and say, well, there's a lot of change. I don't necessarily want to do both of these at once. So I'm going to hold my signature card, see what happens after the new owners take over. On the other hand, you can have an acceleration. You can say, let's get this thing done before we have to deal with that change of state. Uh, and I think you saw a little bit of that this last week. We saw CWA essentially reporting that some 80% of the signatures had been gathered from Raven QA testers. Uh, and that got misreported in a couple of ways. That's not that's not a recognized union before some other things happen at the National Labor Relations Board level. But that's certainly indicative of some employees and certainly the union, the CWA, that wants to be the collective bargaining representative for those folks and really a lot more at Activision Blizzard, pushing for those signature cards, pushing to have that process go and get completed realistically before all of this happens uh, with Activision and Microsoft. So... I can't tell you what's going to happen as part of that process. There's a number of things that still have to be sorted out, even with that kind of Raven QA tester yeah. um, storyline. But that's the kind of thing that happens. This is an inflection point. That reporting uh, of the Microsoft transaction, the acquisition of Activision Blizzard, causes everybody to re-examine their position. And some will slow down, some will accelerate. The outside agencies aren't looking at anything as we that we know of right now really happening in Activision Blizzard. We're talking about 2018 and before. Uh, and so those will continue apace. Those lawsuits will continue. Uh, the EEOC settlement will likely get finalized during this period before Microsoft is the formal owner. Uh, and Microsoft will have to deal with an EEOC representative at Activision Blizzard as they purchase it. Uh, so that's an interesting wrinkle in and of itself. Yeah. Uh, Sci-Fi Sonic says, Richard is a good lawyer. One man, two opinions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but well, I think that most questions have nuanced answers. I do. Well, and in your position, depending on who you're representing in a deal, you have to be able to understand one side or the other, because depending on on what you're representing, you know, your client to do and be and, and, and want to get out of the deal, 
you know, you've got to be able to understand the other side of it and what they what they want. So if I'm doing my job sense. right, I'm thinking about what the other side wants can get and how they're going to negotiate against me. There's no doubt about that. Now, do you think that the Microsoft people are looking at things like uh, the you know, Take Two's acquisition of Zynga, and you look at the battle between Epic Games and Apple, and all of these other things out here in the periphery? How well, Microsoft, if you that... remember, actually testified in Epic versus Apple, provided documentation there. They are at least somewhat interested in breaking down the walled gardens if they can. Yeah. Remembering that Microsoft, from a gaming perspective, is the world's largest purveyor of a gaming software subscription service. And if they could get it on a platform like iOS without paying Apple its fees and that kind of thing, that would be beneficial to them. Uh, so they're definitely paying attention to all that stuff. They've got They've got consultants, they got internal folks, they got analysts, they got lawyers uh, analyzing just about everything. And one of the biggest companies on earth. Uh, but I don't think they're being driven by take two buying Zynga. I think this deal would have already been in the works by then. I think instead what you can take it is a trend line. You could say, look, these companies are doing their due diligence and seeing the tremendous growth and really explosive revenue potential of mobile gaming, regardless of whether or not you like it or not and are looking for avenues in. So Take-Two buying Zynga as a mobile platform and Microsoft buying King as part of this big deal that everybody wants to focus on the console stuff. And I don't blame you, that's where the sexiness lives. But Microsoft buying King is them getting in in a major way to that mobile market. And yeah. I would expect that trend line to continue. The other aspect of this, and I saw, I saw a couple of different places where this got mentioned, was the potential for Activision to now start releasing new games again. I mean, we get uh, we get updates to existing games. I don't know, Ryan, you, you probably know more about this than I do as far as when was the last time Activision actually released a new game as opposed to an update or a DLC or something like that. I mean, it's been a while, yeah? Uh, yeah, I have not been too busy in the Activision games. Uh, but what do you consider Vanguard? Is Vanguard a DLC or is it a new Call of Duty? Man, um, I mean, I feel like you can argue both. Um, <laughs> uh, but I mean, like, I feel when I think of like the Activision games, I feel like so many games that we have seen has been so postponed. Like, uh, the first one obviously comes to mind to me is like Overwatch Two has been postponed, and it's just like, um, it's creating a halt in not only just like being the game scene, but also the esports scene. They're not receiving updates at Overwatch either, other than like when turmoil was happening and they had to make some changes like to character names. Um, other than that, I cannot tell you a game that has been released recently by Activision. Yeah. I, I, my recollection of the most recent past of Activision is the Diablo 2 remaster and Call of Duty Vanguard. Uh, yeah. But King has also been releasing things. I think they released their Crash Bandicoot Runner last year, um, things along those lines. But yeah, I agree with you. One of the things that happened early in 2021 was that Activision kind of put all its eggs in one basket. They, they pulled back various of the companies that were doing things like Crash Bandicoot and Spyro uh, and said, hey, you're all doing Call of Duty in some form or fashion. You're, you're either doing the new Call of Duty releases or you're working on Warzone, uh, which is their big Battle Royale Call of Duty themed game. Uh, so I think one thing that you could see from Microsoft owning them is broadening out their base a little bit. Certainly the asset portfolio is big enough that even if you were just going to say Activision's companies are going to make Call of Duty, 
you have assets within the Activision library that you can hand off to one of your 34 developers uh, at that point in time. You know, looking across your entire ecosystem for, hey, you, anybody want to make a new Spyro game does have a certain amount of possibility in it at Microsoft. Yeah. Uh, Mazur says Activision used to be the showrunner for Star Trek Online. I think they may have sold their share of it. I believe, if I remember correctly, that came across our desk, Star Trek Online is now owned by Embracer. Uh, it was a transaction that just happened here not too long ago where uh, where the, the company that makes Star Trek Online was bought by Embracer Group, I think is the name of it. Um, but Richard, you've got uh, these various different games. What does what does this do now? And and in this last couple of minutes here, I know we've we're, we've gone through a lot, but PlayStation is looking at this. Nintendo is looking at this. Um, Electronic Arts is looking at this. Lucasfilm Games, Disney, all of the different people that are involved in gaming, Warner Brothers games, they're all looking at this. And what are they thinking at this point? Well, I mean, I think that you're in an era of consolidation or perspective consolidation. So I think everybody is kind of sizing everybody else up. Uh, I say this a lot on my channel, but I think one thing that's important to note is that everybody doing their due diligence is always going to be considering what a combination looks like, what a divestiture looks like. That's part of what they do every day from a business perspective. So this, I think, doesn't change necessarily how you're thinking about your company or what you might do with it, but it does clarify that maybe you have to do something faster than you otherwise thought. Nintendo doesn't really compete on these grounds. Nintendo does its own thing. Nintendo makes a lot of money doing that own thing. I wouldn't expect much to change with them. Sony has had a kind of combination content platter of top of the line first party games and then strong third party support, some of which they paid for exclusivity on. And a number of those have gone away, right? The entire ZeniMax library and now the entire Activision library will go away in some respect. And even though Phil Spencer says Call of Duty he wants on PlayStation, certainly they would extract some kind of pound of flesh from Sony in exchange for that participation. So Sony had a week. I would expect Sony had a lot of backroom <laughs> board meetings and a lot of strategic decision-making and looking at what their future holds. Now, it's important to note that Microsoft is so vastly bigger than any other entity in video gaming, at least outside of the big tech giants that kind of have their toes dipped uh, in video gaming that Sony can't just pull up the money gun. They don't want to get into a shooting war with Microsoft on acquisitions and just really make the consolidation stronger. So they have to evaluate everything very closely, very carefully. That's what they did last year, even in the shadow of the Zenimax transaction. They purchased companies that they had worked with in the past for what seemed like small amounts of money compared to what Microsoft's throwing around, but are significant in the video gaming industry. And I would expect them to continue along that course and then potentially stretch out to something more. I think a lot of the folks kind of whispering around the internet suggest Square Enix. I don't know whether they would want to do that or not. To my eye, really the last big third-party AAA developer that really gets a lot of traction on the end-of-year game sales list is Ubisoft with their Assassin's Creeds and their Watchdogs and their Rainbow Sixes and whatnot. Uh, Sony is going to have a lot more trouble gaining that kind of cash without leveraging itself to death. Yeah. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what they do. But I do think everybody's evaluating what an acquisition might look like, what consolidation would look like, and figuring out their own way. Nintendo's going to keep being weird. Nintendo's going to keep making you know, cardboard things that work with the Switch, and Switch 2 will be another weird thing, and I love them for it. Uh, but as for Sony's walled garden, they're going to have to figure out a, a new way through than the one they've been using for the last 15, 20 years. Yeah. 
All right, we will leave it at that. Richard Hogue of Hogue Law, who is uh, uh, better versed in all of this than I am, certainly. So uh, I love you, this stuff. It's <laughs> it is interesting on on the surface level because that's that's one of those things where I'm like, I never got into games past Atari Twenty Six Hundred. You know, life and all of this other stuff happened, but to see all of this going on from the outside. And trying to make sense of it, you know, getting getting those explanations and getting those those uh, discussions of what this all means, uh, I think is is super helpful, especially for those of us who have not kept up. Uh, so I do al always appreciate you being able to come in and, and share your insights. You can find him at hoaglaw.com. We've got his uh, information in our show notes as well as a link to his YouTube channel. Uh, so uh, go check that out. He's been doing a number of, of videos covering the Activision situation as well as other topics. Uh, and uh, I mean, are you still doing any of Ricada's panel as, as he covers different trials? Yeah, I have a standing invitation over there. I'm not really a trial coverer, so I pop in between uh, those kinds of circumstances usually. But I, I go over there a little bit. You can find me on a bunch of different channels. Certainly this week, I think I've appeared everywhere. I'm, <laughs> so I'm sure you're. I'm sure you're booked for for a number of appearances. So hopefully you'll be able to actually get some work done. Uh, you know we're finding we're finding the time in between. Absolutely, but I love both aspects of what I do. So I, I think it's great. All right, Richard Hogue, thanks very much for being here. Ryan Gallagher is uh, uh, doing our gaming stuff over on our Twitch channel. He and I are going to be having a conversation at some point on how to get our Discord going. Uh, so uh, be looking for that. And of course, we do also appreciate all of you being here, whether you're here with us live. I appreciate all of you having your comments in the chat. If you are not live with us, if you're Memorex, you can still leave us a comment or send us an email live from the bunker at sci-fi for me.com. And uh, also a reminder that we're on a number of different social media platforms, different video platforms. We have a mailing address if you have material you'd like for us to review. And, of course, there's the tip jar, the subscribe star account. If you want to throw a little cash our way, we will put it to good use, <clears throat> like maybe buying coffee. All right, that's going to do it for us today. Thanks very much for being here. I will leave you with this thought. Remember, folks, there are four lights. Thanks very much for being here. Have a good day. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2022 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.